A listener note, this story is about rape investigations and includes descriptions of sexual violence. It's so good to see you again. It's very nice to see you, too. Will you just tell us, uh, give us your name and where you're from so he can check your levels? Yes. Uh, Jennifer Sonato. Good. We're great. Okay. So, Jen. It's been two months since we released the first season of Dig, our deep dive investigation into how rape cases are investigated and prosecuted here in Louisville, Kentucky. Jen and I met up in Cincinnati to catch up on everything that has happened since. If you recall, Jen's case had been cleared by police after a prosecutor declined it. During our reporting, the police agreed to reopen her case and look at additional medical records she gave them. Last we'd heard, she was waiting to find out whether those records would change the outcome of her case. And she's still waiting on that front. But in many other ways, a lot has changed. The police department has been called to testify in front of the Louisville Metro Council a few days from now about its handling of rape cases. I've heard from rape victims across the city who were inspired by Jen's story to find out what happened to their cases. And Jen has learned new details about her case that shocked even me. This is Dig, a podcast from the Kentucky Center for Investigative Reporting and Louisville Public Media. I'm Eleanor Klibanoff. When the podcast first came out, Jen started hearing from people all over the country. Um, I had some notes of encouragement come to me, and I got a few emails. A lot of people in my area reach out to me. But she didn't hear from the people she most wanted to talk to. I would have loved for the prosecutor to call me right after this story came out. And Detective Lynch or Sergeant Stokes, somebody. But days, then weeks went by, and silence. So as Jen has had to do so often, she took matters into her own hands and tracked down the prosecutor, Christy Gray, herself. I found her email through an online article that somebody else had wrote from her office. So I used that format to be able to email her and just hoped it was her. And it was. And I just uh, sent her a link to the story and said, uh, can we please discuss this? Jen says she'd asked the police repeatedly if she could speak to a prosecutor. But before now, that had never happened, even though, according to Jen's police file, Christy Gray was the reason her case didn't move forward, the reason the man she accused of rape was never arrested. Jen wanted to know when exactly Gray had reviewed her case. She wanted to know what evidence Gray had reviewed, and she wanted to know why Gray declined the case, effectively stopping the investigation in its tracks. But on the phone, Gray said she couldn't answer any of those questions because she'd never declined the case. I've seen a piece of paper with my own eyes. I got an email from the sergeant. Yes, it was prosecution declined. How do they not know what cases are open and which ones are closed? Jen explained that she'd seen emails and documents and had conversations with the police where they told her the prosecutor had declined the case. Gray didn't provide much in the way of answers. She just kept insisting that the story we put out was wrong and that she'd never declined to bring the case to court. Jen was confused. She wasn't sure who to believe. So she set up a call with LMPD Detective Lindsay Lynch and her boss, Sergeant Tim Stokes, the head of the sex crimes unit, and asked them whether Gray had declined the case. Sergeant Stokes had said, I don't know why you're asking me this. You already have everything. 
your attorneys, the reporter, we know you have everything. Um, he had asked me why I'm so concerned about dates and papers, and I should just be happy my case is reopened now. Jen says the conversation was contentious. When she pushed for specifics, Lynch and Stokes told her they didn't have her file in front of them. She offered to wait while they got it. Sergeant Stokes said they will get back to me the next week, which was the week of Christmas. And I said, well, what difference does next week make? You know, what can I expect next week? What can we talk about next week? But, she says, Stokes hung up before she got a straight answer. It's now February. She hasn't heard anything from anyone since about the status of her case. She still doesn't know whether the prosecutor ever actually declined the case. Here's what the police and the prosecutors agree on. In July 2018, seven months after Jen reported a rape, Lynch took the case to Gray for the first time. Lynch had just interviewed the suspect, and Gray decided the police didn't have enough evidence at that time to charge him, according to the police file. Gray told the detective to get the suspect's DNA to compare it to Jen's rape kit and look for other potential suspects. As you might remember, Lynch called the suspect back after that conversation and offered him a much more sweeping exoneration. So I just got off the phone with the Commonwealth's attorney, Christy Gray, and she and I both um, are under the impression that we do not think that it is a good case. Lynch tells him he's off the hook. But Gray had not declined the case. Police were still investigating. Three months later, Lynch brought the case back to Gray once more. Gray said she wanted to wait for the DNA results to decide how to proceed. The DNA test came back in May, showing the suspect's saliva on Jen's neck. What happened from that point is what the police and the prosecutors disagree on. Sergeant Stokes emailed Jen's lawyer in May. He wrote, quote, Based on this DNA evidence and the investigation, the case was presented to the Commonwealth attorney for review. The case was thoroughly screened and investigated. At this time, the Commonwealth has declined prosecution. End quote. Jen's lawyer didn't tell her this. As you might recall, I did in my interview with her a few months later. Stokes sent that email in May, but Detective Lynch didn't actually clear the case until six months later. On October 15th, she signed a form that said Christy Gray had reviewed and declined the case, citing insufficient evidence. That was the same day LMPD agreed to let me see Jen's case file, which means the case was only formally cleared after the police department knew I was investigating Jen's case. A week after Lynch filled out that form, Stokes emailed Jen and reiterated. The entire case file had been presented to the prosecutor at the end of the investigation, and the prosecutor declined the case. Christy Gray says none of that happened. Gray declined an interview, like she did when I was first reporting on Jen's case. But in emails, she told me the last time she saw this case was when she told Lynch she wanted to wait for DNA to come back. Like Jen, I wanted the police to explain this disagreement. Detective Lynch hung up on me when I called her desk phone, but police spokesperson Lamont Washington followed up. I asked him to find out if and when Gray had declined Jen's case. It's Lamont. Hey. Um, so I was asked to direct you to Christy Gray's office for the answers to those two questions. Oh, okay, but I'm asking when the, cause I, when the police screened it with her, so why wouldn't yeah, the police I, I, be able to answer that? I heard your question clear as day. I just I'm giving you the answer that I got, <laughs> so I can't. Okay, can't well give I, I want to be I want to be straight with you that we have spoken to Christy Gray's office. She said that they okay. never that they never declined the case. We have a lot of paperwork from LMPD that says they did decline the case. So that's what I'm trying to get to the bottom of here. Okay, um, 
uh, like I said, the answer I was given was to refer you to Christy Gray's office. Um, so I, ca I can't help you any more than that. I'm sorry. I'm going to need you to go back to, I mean, I, we, we have an answer from Christy Gray's office that says, and what she's basically saying is that the police, that none of the documentation that you guys have is correct. And so I really am going to need to sort of get an answer to, from you guys on how that is possible. Okay. All right. Let me make one more phone call and I'll call you back. Great. Thank you. A few minutes later, Washington called me back. Hey, Eleanor, it's Lamont again. Hey. Okay, so I was told that um, our stance remains the same, that uh, we're to refer you to Christy Gray's office and that all of the um, comments that we're willing to make on that case uh, to you have already been made. I was surprised by that response. So you guys are basically standing behind Christy Gray, who is saying that she did not decline I'm the case. I'm standing behind what I told you, that we've given you all the information that we're willing to give at this point, and Christy Gray's office is who you would need to talk to as far as dates and times on cases being screened with them. This disagreement between the police and the prosecutors matters because the way Jen's case ended is extremely common. In Louisville, more than 40 percent of rape cases each year are marked cleared by exception, prosecution declined. In those cases, police are essentially saying they've solved the case. They've identified a suspect, they know where that person is, and they have probable cause to make an arrest. But they don't make the arrest, and they point to the prosecutor as the reason why. Now, the prosecutor is pointing right back at the police. The document that Lynch signed says Gray declined the case. The emails the police sent to Jen and her lawyer say Gray declined the case. Gray says she never declined the case. These things cannot both be true. I asked Jen about all of this. I am outraged. Outraged. Just makes you wonder, did she never believe me? Or she just need to get a different job? Prosecutors are declining many of these cases. I've reviewed dozens of cases, and most of them contain an email where the prosecutor declines the case in writing. Gray's allegation in Jen's case doesn't seem to reflect a widespread problem. But if it happened at least once, in this case, that I somewhat randomly decided to do a deep dive on... It's like when you find a hair in your food at a restaurant. You wonder how clean the kitchen is. It is exactly like that. Or a rat or a mouse in the bathroom. And you think, I'm never going there again. Right. And they say, well, it's just one hair. And you're like, no, it's, it's not. not about the hair. It's it's what's under the hood. This all bubbles up some reason, somehow. I'm not, I cannot be the only one. And I, that's like a perfect metaphor because it is like you can't really know what's happening in the kitchen. You kind of have to trust that what they're bringing out to you is not going to poison you or whatever. It's the same thing where it's like you have to sit there and wait for them to... Give but you if, what they're going to give you. If the chef argued with me, I'm leaving. Right. Like, you have power in that situation, and in this situation, you have no power. I have no power. Since that night at the Marriott Hotel in January 2018, Jen Sonato has felt powerless. The police and the prosecutors have done nothing to mitigate that feeling. In fact, time after time, they've made it worse. But now, hundreds of thousands of people have heard her story, and some of them have the power to do something about it. Like Jessica Green, a Democrat who chairs the Louisville Metro Council's Public Safety Committee. The bigger message is what message are we sending to, to, to the victims? And it is essentially a message of don't report 
unless there's DNA, unless there's a video, unless there was five witnesses in the room while somebody was raping you and kicking kicking your behind, don't report because if if you do and start the process, you're going to be disappointed, you're going to be let down, and you're never going to have your day in court. That's the message that it sends in my mind. Green knows what she's talking about. She used to prosecute domestic violence cases for the same office where Gray works, the Jefferson County Commonwealth's attorney. I know what it looks like to open up a file and to feel like, oh my gosh, this is not a slam dunk kind of win conviction. But I think that what people have to to remember is that these stories, these prosecutions, they begin and end with the victims. And so... Um, the idea that just because a case may look a particular way or because somebody makes a snap judgment about it, I don't think that we should get rid of so many of these cases. Several council members expressed concerns about the way the police officers treated Jen that night at the hotel. Six officers crowded into her room. One asked her repeatedly how much she'd had to drink. And in the hallway, he told other officers that this sort of thing happens a lot in the hotels. People drink too much, take someone back to their rooms, and then say they got raped. David James is the Metro Council president and a former Louisville police detective. When I was reading the story about how they responded to the the hotel, I thought, this is fucked up. The question to me automatically was, is this a result of, uh, I think it was two years ago, when Chief Conrad decided to reduce the number of weeks that police officers go through the academy? right? Um, is this a result of poor supervision? Is this a result of poor training? Is this a result of, I don't know what, but I know that's not how it's supposed to work. James, a Democrat, is a frequent critic of LMPD police chief Steve Conrad, but says the responsibility for problems at LMPD goes even higher. I think that you all should put some pressure on the mayor. You know, he's the one that hires the police chief. Does he think this is okay? Short answer, yep. Mayor Greg Fisher, also a Democrat, has been in office since 2010. He's got a national profile. He's currently serving as campaign co-chair for Michael Bloomberg's presidential run. Fisher appointed Conrad in 2012 and has a history of standing by his police chief, including through several no-confidence votes and a child sex abuse scandal that resulted in two officers serving federal prison time. Mayor Fisher declined to be interviewed, but he sent a statement through a spokesperson. Here's part of it. Quote, I can't imagine the devastating trauma experienced by victims of rape and sexual assault. And I am confident LMPD places a priority on getting justice for those victims. That commitment shows in daily officer interactions with victims. End quote. He applauded LMPD's pursuit of funding for victim advocacy and training and said that rape cases are difficult, which is why LMPD and prosecutors work so closely together. I also asked LMPD Chief Steve Conrad once more for an interview about all of this. Once more, his office declined to make him available. But we will soon get a chance to hear from his department, at least. On February 26th, a few days from now, Lieutenant Shannon Lauder, the head of LMPD's Special Victims Unit, has been called to testify in front of Metro Council's Public Safety Committee. You remember Shannon Lauder. I'm not going to sit here and allow you to act like my detectives are not thoroughly investigating cases because it's going to sound good for your article. Jessica Green, the chair of the committee, said it's important to hear from Lauder and for victims to feel like they've had a chance to be heard. Because when people don't feel like that they are heard and that their stories have value, they shut down. 
And I, I don't want to live in a place where that seems to be the case. And so we have got to do better. We've got to do better. We really do. Of course, I'll be at that hearing, and I'll bring you an update after we hear what Lauder has to say. Someone else plans to attend that meeting as well, Jen Sonato. She's just as committed as ever to getting the answer she deserves. But now, people have heard her story and are asking questions on her behalf. For the first time in a long time, she's feeling a little more powerful. She hopes other rape survivors in Louisville feel the same. I would say any woman who made a sexual assault or a rape complaint with the police and they have any inkling of a feeling like they weren't served justice should revisit it. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of DIG. To support this and future investigations, text KYDIG to 44321 or go to kydig.org. $20 or any amount will help us continue to bring you this kind of work. DIG was reported by Eleanor Klibanoff, edited by Kate Howard, and produced by Laura Ellis. Jake Ryan and Alexander Kanick contributed to the reporting. Kojin Tashiro created our theme music with assistance from Ryan Marsh. Photos by Tyler Franklin and illustrations by Carrie Newmeyer. We receive support for this project from the Solutions Journalism Network, a nonprofit organization dedicated to rigorous and compelling reporting about responses to social problems. Special thanks to Catherine Winter, Erica Peterson, Ashley Clark Thompson, and Jonice Franklin. See the photos and documents behind the story at kydig.org. From the Kentucky Center for Investigative Reporting and Louisville Public Media. My name is Keely Sorensen, and I'm the Vice President of Victim Services at RAIN, the nation's largest anti sexual violence organization. The National Sexual Assault Hotline can be reached at 1-800-656-HOPE. The goal of the National Sexual Assault Hotline is really to help survivors and their loved ones learn more about sexual violence and take the next steps that they feel ready to take in their healing journey. What we want people to know is that if you or someone you know has been affected by sexual violence, please consider reaching out to the National Sexual Assault Hotline We operate 24 hours a day, seven days a week, both online and by telephone. 1-800-656-HOPE. We are here for you and we believe you.